pastor, I just want to say when two or three are gathered in his name, he is in the midst. I walked in this morning and I was like, yo, what's up with all the MTC flow? But I was like, no, devil knows that God has prepared a good word for me to preach to his people this morning. And he's going to do something big this morning. Although there's a few empty seats, that means there's people who are going to miss out. But the people who are here this morning, God has called you here for a purpose. It's not just because, oh, Alan, all my friends preach. Oh, my grandson's preaching. Oh, my son's preaching. Oh, my cousin's preaching. No, God has created a purpose for this service that I will be speaking here today. So before I start, I just want to... Um, I just want to display my title for my message this morning, and it'll be Stuck in a Rut. And the key message for this morning is Romans 9 verse 18. If we can all turn there together, just shout amen when we're all there. Romans 9 verse Romans 9 verse 18 reads, Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills, he hardens. And before I continue, I just want to say how I got this message. So before I was preparing for this message, I was praying, and I was like, God, send me a message. Just send me a message that you want me to speak for your people. And as I was getting deep in worship, a sentence just clearly comes into my mind, stuck in a rut. So I wrote that down, got in worship again, kept praying, and I was like, God, okay. I feel like this is where you're leading me to speak. If this is what you want me to speak, send me the number 999. Because most of you know my testimony, God speaks through me through numbers. So I was like, God, send me the number 999 if this is a yes or confirmation for where you're leading me. Or the number 777 as a no. So I continued the um, to worship, get in praise with God. The scripture came to my, mon- my mind, Romans 9 verse 18. So as I read the scripture, I read it. And then something caught my attention. I looked at the page number. The page number of my Bible on that scripture was the number 999. So that's how I know God wants to speak to you on behalf of what he spoke to me. So you think pottery. So you guys know what pottery is, right? When those people, they have that clay, they mend it into that shape. So I'm just going to get into depth of what pottery is. Pottery is the process and the products of forming vessels and other objects with clay and ceramic materials, which are fired at high temperatures to give them a hard and durable form. So you think we sometimes go through our lives where there's all these troubles, there's all these pains, and we have experienced this from all the way back then, which travel all the way throughout our lifetimes, and that pain is just still evident within our hearts. But really, that pain, that suffering, all that goes to contribute towards the mending and the creation of a beautiful pot at the end of the result. So as we go to Romans 8 verse 18 now, Shout amen when we're all there. Romans 8 verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So the things that we go through, the pain that we go through, it's only temporary. But that that results of the pain that we're going to go through, all that process of this hardship, this painful circumstances, that what makes sense at the current moment is all being prepared, is all the process of God and us being the clay and him being the pottery maker, him just mending, forming, slowly creating us into this shape where at the end of the results, 
will be this beautiful, glorious vessel, this beautiful creation, this beautiful item at the end of it all. Romans 28, Romans 8, sorry, 28 to 30. For he, whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. And I'm just going to get into depth with the word glorified. Glorified means of something or someone ordinary or unexceptional, represented as or appearing more elevated or special. Now just think for the pottery concept that I mentioned. At first, it'll just be a blob of clay. You'll think, oh, what's it's just a big blob of dirty, just spinning, flopping around, useless piece of clay. But as the potter puts his hands into it, as he applies pressure, as he squeezes it, it slowly performs and turns into this shape. And as, he, as the potter keeps on, keeps on applying pressure, slowly it comes into this shape of a vessel or a pot that he intended to at the beginning. So what this is telling us is that with our walk with God, it's not going to be easy. If we just remain in the same place, if we just remain in the same present moment that we're in, in the hurt, or whatever we're going through in our circumstance, we're just going to remain a slack little blob of clay, just spinning around, flopping around, useless with no purpose. But as the potter applies pressure, as he starts to squeeze, knead into the clay, it slowly forms and it comes to a shape. And as he continues to do that, he continues to squeeze it, continues to apply pressure, just push it and squeeze it and knead into it, then the shape comes to form. Now with this story, I just want to mention the story, story of Job. He was a blameless and upright one who feared God and he stunned all evil. He was just, he, he just had all this devotion, all this commitment, all this faith, this faith of his unshakable. He was just so strong with the Lord. And the Bible describes him as one of the greatest people of the East. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and a very large household, along with his seven sons and three daughters. Just think for a second, all that he had. He had this beautiful household. He had all these sheep, all these animals, all this sustainability to his life where he had abundance flowing through his life. He had this dream life. Everything just was going perfect for him. All seemed well. And man, if I wasn't back in the day, I would definitely want to be his friend. <laughs> anyway, so it goes to continue. The sons of God, they came. They came to present themselves before God. And Satan came also, that horned. Oh. Sorry, I, every time I think of Satan, I just don't want to think about it. I just don't want to say his name. It just makes me so wild. <laughs> Satan came also. And as he came, he made remarks at God about Job's devotion and dedication towards him in regards to his abundance from God, everything that God was giving him. So Satan came talking to God. God, if you would stretch out your hand, if you would affect, his if you would affect Job's possessions, if you would affect his abundance, if you would touch his life with all that he had, he will turn around and curse you to your face. So what did God do? He gave, he gave Satan the power and authority over Job's possessions and all that he had, but only not to harm his person or his body. So, the devil being the devil, boom. As I say, next minute, I like to say next minute. Job lost all of his oxen, donkey, sheep, camels, house, 
his children, his servants, and just reflect all that he had. Everything was going so well for him. He thought, oh, I have this dream life. Everything is going so well for me. I don't have to worry about anything. I, I'm just, everything's going well. I'm on this high. I'm on a cloud. Everything's going so well. Clouds, rainbows, sunshine. And then there came the devil, the storm. Just think to yourself, if you had all this abundance, if you had all this goodness that was flowing throughout your life from God, and then boom, all of it came to loss, would you still praise God? Would you still give him wor worship? Would you still glorify him? In Job, one, chapter 1, verse 20 to 22. Um, you, don't, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to. I'm just going to read from it. After he lost everything, he accepted that God gives as well as takes away. Although he had all this pain and this suffering, although in that present time, he was like, oh, my children. Imagine if you lost all your children. Would you still worship God? He lost all his, all his goodness, his abundance, his sustainability to maintain his household and his lifestyle. But still he accepted God that he gives and takes away. Still gave him praise and the worship. So the sons of God yet again came before the Lord. And guess who came also? Satan. Satan yet again made smart and sly comments to God about Job's integrity. If God, if you were to touch his flesh now, if you were to touch his body, if you were to affect his health, if you were to touch him, Job will curse you to your face. So God yet again gave Satan the authority to attack upon Job's life and flesh but to spare his life. So with all these circumstances and hardships that came along his way, Job's friends heard of his troubles, heard of, heard of his hardships, heard of his agony and circumstances. So as they came towards to give him confidence to support him in his hardships, they wept and grieved with him as they didn't even recognize him for the pain that he was in, all the pain that he was in, they didn't recognize him. So as Satan gave as, sorry, as God gave Satan the authority over Job's flesh and body, Satan struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the head of his crown. Like, man, imagine how painful that'll be. I had one boil before, and I was crying. I was in pain. I had a pimple on my face. I was like, no, I don't look good anymore. <laughs> but bo um, Job, he had boils from the head of his crown, of the, his head to the sole of his foot. He was in pain, agony. Everything just went cursed for him. So as, Job as Job's friend came to support him, they, they just sat in silence as he, they knew that he was in such grief. His focus was fixated on his troubling circumstances. Job was so focused on the troublesome, the hurt, the pain. He was just focused on the hardships of having this, all the pain and troublesome and all this stuff that went wrong for him affecting him. And his focus was fixated on his troubling circumstances meaning that his eyes turned away from God to the situation. So you think to us, we often come along hardships, we come along pits where we fall into these pits and it's like, wow, like how am I gonna get out? Why, why is this happening to me? What's wrong with me? Why me, God, why me? And we turn our eyes off the Lord in this, in this, in this concept then circumstance where we look to the hardships and our faith is just planted in that now and our fear is off the law um, fear is planted on that thing 
meaning that our faith will decrease of the Lord. So his eyes was on the situation of God for his provision and his comfort. Job then thought to himself, he thought that God's wrath was being outpoured upon him. He thought that God was cursing him. He thought that God had something resentful against him. He thought that he did something wrong. But little did he know it was Satan. Job, being the blameless, upright, and that fear he he had towards God and shunned all evil, still faced troubles, still came across all these pains, troubling circumstances and scenarios. Anything to us as Christians living for the Lord, we live upright, we live righteously for him, we follow him according to his word, yet we still face hardships in our circumstances and in our life. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 to 7, if we can all turn there this morning. Shout amen when you're this, so I know you're not lost. <laughs> so this is the Apostle Paul writing in here. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are all in Archaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for our consolation, it is for your consolation and salvation. And your our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that as you are partakers of su- the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. So just bringing it back to the pottery concept. The pottery that that the potter uses to he apply the pressure he applies and all the affliction that he applies to this clay to perform and create it into this beautiful this beautiful vessel at the end of it that's what's happening with us the troubles that we go through is God applying this pressure and allowing things to happen so that he can reveal his glory within us at the end of it all and at the start we might be like God why God, why? Why me? What did I do? But little do we know, it's for the process of his glory to be revealed in us. Matthew 5, chapter 4. Blessed are these, those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Christ is our comforter. When we go through these certain circumstances, these pains, these, what we, what we look around and it's like chaos, but meanwhile it's God mending and applying pressure to our clay, to our lives, to our heart. It's really just him in the process of doing something that at the end of it all he will reveal his goodness and glory within us. So when we remain like Job, dwelling in the chaos of our hardships, staying comfortless, restless, 
blaming God, but Satan is attacking us also using this lies and manipulation from the hurt that we're in. But meanwhile, it's really just God mending us into these vessels. Satan will come along and manipulate, manipulate our thoughts, manipulate our intentions because of that affliction that we're going through. But behind the scenes, that's God creating us into this beautiful vessel. Instead of us dwelling in the chaos, blaming God, we become vulnerable. Satan uses this to play a manipulation game. He stirs wickedness, defilement, bitterness, and resentment against the wrong people and the wrong things, in, Job, in Job's case, to God. And Satan has the same motive to us. When we go through these things, he uses that open space, that open door where when we fall, we turn our eyes off God, we look at the chaos, he'll plant that seed. And from that seed will stir up a wickedness, a bitterness, and a resentment towards the wrong things, the wrong people, and towards God when really it's Satan. So Job blamed God, slightly rebuking him in everything that was going on, but it was Satan the entire time. So Job's friends aided and supported him throughout his hardships, reminding him of God's peace, stability, and consolation, freely up for grabs, freely on the table if he turns to God within that moment, turned his focus off the circumstances and to God. If he would have just gave up his tribulations and trials, his hardships, his pain, laid it all before the Lord for him to be our comforter, and he will take it off us. However, Job in this case was attentive, self-centered, and concentrated on all that the bad that was going on. He was just, his eyes was fixated on the chaos instead of the comfort that God provides. And as his friends were giving him all these advice and comfort to uplift his spirit, they, Job, he, he felt a sense of mockery from them. He was like, no, you have no idea what I'm going through. Who are you to tell me all this? But really, his eyes was fixated on the problems, and in his heart was already planted that seed of wickedness and bitterness against God. And we often, we often think to our lives, sometimes we get comfort from other people, sometimes we go through these trials, sometimes we go through these hardships, and then people try to comfort us, like people try to support us, and God sends people to comfort us and provide comfort. But we choose to turn our eyes on the wrong things, off God and on the circumstances. Yes, Job was right, no one knew how he felt. Did his friends have a single boil on his body? No, they didn't know he had, they had no clue of his circumstances, which is true to us in a way when people try to support us, when we try to get comfort from people, when people are sent to give comfort to us, we have to think, oh, you know nothing of what I'm going through. But meanwhile, our eyes are fixated on the wrong thing in the midst of that situation. So as if we all just turn to Job chapter 5, verse 1 to 27, I'm just going to read through this passage. Give me an amen when you're all there. (laughs) 
this is the chastening that Job was receiving from God, which Eliphaz, his friend, was bringing to his attention. attention. Call out now, is there anyone who will answer you? And to which of the holy ones will you turn? For wrath kills a foolish man, and envy slays a simple one. I have seen the foolish taking root, but suddenly I cursed his dwelling place. His sons are far from safety. They are crushed in the gate, and there is no deliverer. Because the hungry eat up his harvest, taking it even from the thorns, and the snare snatches their substance. For affliction does not come from the dust, nor trouble spring from the ground, yet man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. But as for me, I would seek God, and to God I would commit my cause, who does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. He gives rain on the earth and sends waters on the field. He sets on high those who are lowly, and those who mourn are lifted to safety. He frustrates the devices of the crafty so that their hands cannot carry out their plans. He catches the wise in their own craftiness, and the counsel of the cunning comes quickly upon them. They meet with darkness in the daytime and grope at noontime as in the night. But he saves the needy from the sword, from the mouth of the mighty, and from their hand. So the poor have hope, and injustice shuts her mouth. Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects, Therefore, do not despise the chastening of the Almighty, for he bruises, but he binds up. He wounds, but his hands make whole. He shall deliver you in six troubles, yes, in seven no evil shall touch you. In famine, he shall redeem you from death, and in war from the power of the sword. You shall be hidden from the scourge of the tongue, and you shall not be afraid of destruction when it comes. You shall laugh at, you shall laugh at destruction and famine, and you shall not be afraid of the beasts of the earth. For you shall have a co covenant with the stones of the field, and the beasts of the field shall be at peace with you. You shall know that your tent is in peace. You shall visit your dwelling and find nothing amiss. amiss. You shall also know that your descendants shall be many, and your offspring like the grass of the earth. You shall come to the grave at a full age, as a sheaf of grain ripens in its season. Behold, this we have searched out, it is true. Hear it and know for yourself. And I just want to bring attention to verse 8 to 16. But as for me, I would commit God, I would, I would seek God, sorry, and to God I would commit my cause, who does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. He gives rain on the earth and sends waters on the fields. He sets on the high those who are lowly, and those who mourn are lifted to safety. He frustrates the device of the crafty so that they can't, their hands cannot carry out their plans. He catches the wise in their own craftiness, and the counsel of the cunning comes quickly upon them. They meet with darkness in the daytime and grope at noontime, as in the night. But he saves the needy from the sword, from the mouth of the mighty, and from their hand, so the poor have hope, and injustice shuts her mouth. And what he is saying, what Aliphas, his friend, was saying was, turn to God in that midst of his troubles. Seek God in that situation. Find him. Find him to provide the peace, the comfort, stability. Turn your eyes. Give it all to God to have that peace and comfort from him. Because we have nothing to worry about. To worry about when we have God, when we are on the winning side. As it says in 26 verse 27, You shall come to the grave at a full age, as a sheaf of grain ripens in its season. Behold, this we have searched out, it is true. Hear it, 
and then for yourself. Sometimes in our situations, we come to a point where we feel like we're dead. That point where in our life, it's like, I can't excel anymore. We just feel so dead in the midst of where we are in our lives. But when, and it's saying here that in the midst of all that, after that season, we shall be a sheaf of grain that ripens in its season. So when that sheaf of grain ripens in its season, it applies to us where the death that we're experiencing, the death, the pain, the tribulation, the trials that we're experiencing will all ripen in its due season. And as it says in verse 17 to 24, Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore do not despise the chastening of the Almighty. For he bruises, but he binds up. He wounds, but his hands make whole. He shall deliver you in six troubles. Yes, in seven no evil shall touch you. And what it is saying to us is that when, the, when that bitter seed is planted in our heart towards God, when it, towards the wrong things, the wrong people, when that seed is planted in our hearts due to our circumstances, our situations, that practice, practice of us turning our eyes off God to the pain and the troublesome, a seed will be planted. That seed will be stirred as, it'll start off as a small thought. God, why me? What did I do to deserve this? Why? I just, you're supposed to be a good God. You're not good. You're making me go through this pain. How are you good? But meanwhile, that discontent that is in our heart, that wickedness, that seed that is planted in our heart, the righteous judgment of God is, that, is what falls upon us. Not to hurt us, not to break us, not out of discontent, not out of wrath against God, not because of our sin where God wants to punish us, but to break us to become into the state where we're not broken but gracefully broken to our wickedness, to what the evil that we're practicing within our hearts and within our lives, so that we may be enabling us to cry out to God in that situation where we're broken without any evil, without any wickedness in our hearts. We're broken of all that. <coughs> in this state is when God moves and purges out all iniquity and all hurt, all wickedness, all evil, whatever it is, so that he can now come and reside in our hearts. And most of you, I don't know if you guys know how diamonds are made, but I'm just going to get into depth quickly about that. So diamonds are formed deep within the earth, about 100 miles or so below the surface in the upper mantle, the upper core of the earth. Obviously, in that part of the earth, it's very hot. There's a lot of pressure the weight of the overlying rock bearing down so that the combination of the high temperature and the high pressure is what's necessary to grow diamond crystals in the earth. Now you think in our circumstances, in our lives, we go through this pressure, this affliction, this pain, whatever it is, it's so troubling, this pain that we are unsure in the present moment. But in the meanwhile, it's us in that upper core mantle of the earth and that pressure is applying Pressure just forming, binding, so that it binds us together so that a diamond can be created in that circumstance. The glory of God reveals in us at the end of it all. So in Job 8, verse 5 to 7, I'm going to read quickly from that. You don't have to turn to it. I'm just going to read through that quickly. 
if you would earnestly seek God and make your supplication to the Almighty, if you were pure and upright, surely now he would awake for you and prosper your rightful dwelling place. Though your beginning was small, yet your latter end would increase in but, in but abundantly. So when this, Zophar, his friend, was urging Job to repent, because in that state, there was iniquity, there was sins, there was evil, there was all these things that he fixated his eyes on instead of God as a thing to apply that comfort. That's what he was looking at, which that seed then from that moment was planted in his heart. So what it says to us is that when our hearts are prepared and when we come before the Lord, when we seek comfort and choose to come before him, we need to acknowledge our sins, our wickedness, iniquity, all that it is that we practice that is not of good. We need to come before God in a humble state in our hearts. In regards to the storms we, are, we have been through or we are going through and laying it all before God. And after that, when we lay it all before God and when we allow him to move and when we turn to him in that circumstances, humbling our hearts and whatever we're going through and we do, that God will now replace, restore the goodness of his glory upon our lives. And in that, in that moment of the hardships, in all of that diamond of our pressure, that, that, that pressure that is forming that diamond to be created, the impurity in our hearts is what God is replacing and intending to restore with the goodness of his glory. And sometimes in that, in our circumstances, in our troublesome moments, we turn our eyes off God and we focus in, the, we focus in that troublesome moments. Our faith is off God and our faith is now planted on that. Our focus is now planted on that. And our faith, faith in God, our faithfulness in God decreases so our focus is now planted in that. And as our focus is planted on the hardships and on whatever we're going through, we start to develop a thirst, a thirst in our hearts to, to seek things for comfort. We start drinking things now. Oh, these sins, these wickedness, whatever it is that we choose to turn to instead of God to provide comfort, we start drinking that to quench our thirst. But afterwards, we get dehydrated again. So what do we do? We find that same thing to drink. Oh, oh. Provide me comfort, provide me peace, provide me stability. After we drink of it, that quenchful thirst comes back. But when we choose to quench our thirst with God, fixate our eyes on Him through the circumstances and troubles we are going through, that's when He, he He's not just gonna He's just not gonna quench our thirst. He's gonna flood through. And then the flood will reach the depths of all the depths and emptiness to all depths of our hearts and our hurt. And that's the only way that we're not going to be able to feel thirsty again. That thirst that God quenches our thirst, that quench that we had for the peace and the comfort, is what God will upon us now, the flooding of his goodness to apply comfort in our circumstances. Once God restores the emptiness and the darkness in our hearts that we once had, the wickedness that we had in our, residing in our hearts, presenting against him and the wrong things, when we sacrifice these burdens and these pains, and when we choose to lay these things upon him, when we choose to, yes, in the moment of turning away from these temporary comfort things that we chose to turn to, it'll be a sacrifice to us because it comforted us 
in that present moment. But when we lay it all before him and he restores all the burden and pain with his goodness and glory, we now can fully lift up our head and eyes towards him without bitterness, without resentment, unfaithfulness, hurt, or this emotion that blaming of like blaming God for all the hurt. Because the, the misery amplified in our hearts will be and in our lives will be forgotten because the God now floods through our lives and our hearts, flooding away of everything, clearing out every dirt. Just like you see in a flood where a flood comes, everything goes away after the flood. Everything is clear. Trees are all cut down. Trees are all disappeared. Leaves, flowers, everything, everything disappears. When the flood of God's goodness and glory and his comfort comes to us in our lives and our hearts now, in regard to us laying it all before God, all that will be taken away. The misery that was once amplified ringing in our ears will be muted because of God's goodness. That will be now amplified in us. The peace, the comfort, and rest that we were seeking in other things will now be appointed to us by, go by God. Our house will be founded on a rock in the midst of a withering storm. We will be founded in God, on God and remain unshakable. In Job 12, verse, chapter 12, verse 5, a lamp, lamp referring to a disaster, is despised in the thought of one who is at ease. It is made ready for those whose feet slip. <coughs> now you think, this scripture is referring to when all good is in our lives, when all the abundance is flowing through, and when all this goodness is in our lives, and we're so comfortable, and our faith is now planted in that, and our comfort is now coming from those things, we start to become unaware of what can come our way. We are, we are unprepared for disasters, trials, and tribulations. Our side is off God, which is, which is where our faith should be planted in, and on the trials, oh sorry, and on the abundance, sorry, the comfort, the goodness, and the comfortability that is providing us, like, oh, everything is going so well, we forget about what can happen. Then when trials come our way, tribulations, pain, hurt, past, whatever it is that creeps up onto our lives, trying to latch itself onto us and shake us, it'll catch us off guard. We're not made aware of these things because like I said before, we are so, our faith is planted in that goodness of everything that is going on that we forget of what can come our way. Because when we have God as our peace, assurance, comfort and when we have the stability of him within us he will keep us still and calm so when that storm comes now the boat that we're in in the middle of the sea and starts clashing us around and we start losing sight that lighthouse that was there right in front of us it starts to shake us we start to get off track and then our boat starts to fix it in the wrong direction off that lighthouse that was once there and the withering storm just clashes us all over the place that's us when we choose to reside our faith, our comfort, our peace, our attention to the pain and whatever chaos is going in our lives. Our attention that is fixated on that problem is what causes us to be so shaken. Because when we have God, when we are looking at that lighthouse, when we have the peace and the comfort, when our heart is set on him, our eyes are set on him and we live to him, for him to apply that comfort and his goodness upon our lives. That is what, that's the peace and stability 
that peace is what's going to keep us still and calm in the storm. Yes, the storm will be still there, but the, the lighthouse, God, will the light will be still shining towards us for us to be following that lighthouse, to reside to safety, to come to dry land, to comfort. <coughs> And we, and we think to us, like, we go through these pains and these troublesomes. It shakes us up. But what do we choose to turn to? Do we choose to turn to God in that moment? Do we choose to focus our boat, fixate our path, align our path to God, that lighthouse, to provide stability to our boat in the storm that we're in? Or do we allow the waves to clash against our boat and turn our direction off the lighthouse? I'm just going to quickly read from Job 14, 7 to 9. You, you guys don't have to turn, so I'm just going to refer to this. So 14, verse 7 to 9. For there is hope for a tree, if it is cut down, that it will sprout again, and that its tender shoots will not cease. Though its root may grow old in the earth and its stump may die in the ground, yet at the scent of water it will bud and bring forth branches like a plant. So we think to us, reflecting to us now, when we go through these storms, when we as a tree get cut down, then we feel like all we are is a remaining stump. We're dead. How, how are we supposed to grow? I'm dead now. I'm cut down. How am I supposed to go back into a tree? Think to us. When we allow God to apply his drop of water, just one drop of water, drop of his goodness, a drop of him in our lives to provide that peace, stability, then from that drop of him, our broken, cut tree, our stump will spread into a tree again, bearing fruits. Now, I'm just going to read, if we all can turn now to Job ch uh, chapter 18, verse 5 to 21. Sing out amen when we're all there. The light of the wicked indeed goes out, and the flame of his fire does not shine. The light is dark in his tent, and his lamp beside him is put out. The steps of his strength are shortened, and his own counsel casts him down. For he is cast into a net by his own feet, and he walks into a snare. The net takes him by the heel, and a snare lays hold of him. A noose is hidden for him on the ground, and a trap for him in the road. Terrors frighten him on every side, and drive him to his feet. His strength is starved, and destruction is ready at his side. It devours patches of his skin. The firstborn of death devours his limbs. He is uprooted from the shelter of his tent, and they par parade him before the king of terrors. They dwell in, the t in his tent, who are none of his. Brimstone is scattered on his dwelling. His roots are dried out below, and his branch, branch withers above. The memory of him perishes from the earth, and he has no name among the renowned. He is driven from the light into darkness and chased out of the world. He has neither son nor posterity among his people, nor any remaining in his dwellings 
in his dwellings. Those in the west are astonished at his day, as those in the east are frightened. Surely, as surely, surely such are the dwellings of the wicked, and this is the place of him who does not know God. Now just reflecting back to verse 5 to 10, the light of the wicked indeed goes out, and the flame of his fire does not shine. The light is dark in his tent, and his lamp beside him is put out. The steps of his strength are shortened, and his own counsel casts him down. For he is cast into a net by his own feet, and he walks into a snare. The net takes him by the heel, and a snare lays hold of him. A noose is hidden for him on the ground, and a trap for him in the road. So what that is saying is, when the root of that wickedness, that bitterness, has resided in our hearts, that seed that was planted in to begin with, we start acting out of that emotion, that sensation, making decisions, as referred here, to, um, to self-sabotaging, casting our own traps, causing us to fall. That's when we start suffocating because we don't have God as oxygen. We start to get, start to suffocate, try to breathe on other things, breathe out for comfort, breathe in this oxygen to sustain our lungs. And that thing that, thing that we choose to sustain our lungs, that oxygen, is that sin that we choose to turn to when our eyes are out of his sight, off him, onto that circumstances that we choose to, we are desperate for comfort now. So what do we do? We seek other things. We seek out other things for comfort instead of God to provide that comfort and peace. We seek other things, sin. And in verse 18 where he says, he is driven from the light into darkness and chased out of the world. The light, the light that it's referring to, he is driven out of the light, is referring to the light of God. He was driven out of God into the darkness because he was seeking comfort in the world. He was seeking comfort out of other things now. He turned his attentions to other things now, fixating his focus to other things now. And as he did this, that's what drove him out of the light because his eyes were on the darkness and not God. You see, Job had two choices in that circumstances he was facing. He had two choices either to turn to God for peace and comfort in his trials or focus and fixate his attention and eyes on the cares of his hardships. So what did he choose to do? He chose to dwell in his agony within the, within the situation of his. Chose to reside in the worrisome and grief and pain. The focus of him rendered unfaithfulness towards God in which the iniquity and bitterness grew because that is where the space opened for the enemy to plant lies against what was really happening, the chastening, the forming, the pressure that God was applying to apply him, to create him into a beautiful bless, um, vessel at the end of it all. So as he chose to turn and fixate his focus on those things, he was blaming God for his torment because his, he was driven out of that light into the darkness now, focused in the darkness, dwelling in the darkness, looking out to these things to seek stability for his torment. Now I'm just going to read quickly from Job chapter 22, verse 4 to 11. 
in this passage, Alif is one of his friends was now accusing him of the wickedness that was evident in his heart. He was now trying to bring light to what he was holding on to. The abundance and riches that he had from the start, everything that he had at the start, everything was going well. I have everything, nothing to worry about. Everything is perfect. That somewhat created a, a prideful trait within his heart because he knew he had this abundance. He was residing in the happiness and the selfishness of all that he had. And that is what decreased his fear towards God. Fear, not, not referring to the fear of God, I'm scared of you, but the awareness of his righteous judgment. You think, we often have things in our lives, we get a new car, a new house, a new phone, and then we start to think, okay, oh, look at me. Look what I have. Oh, wow. I have these good things now. And look around, and we look around to our surroundings and other people, and we look down on them now. Brother Stan, I like your tie this morning. It's really nice. I like the redness of it. But sorry, mine is better. Sister Mele, I like your shoes. Nice. I win. Look at my Nikes. I have it all. You have nothing. We start to stir up this prideful trait within our hearts. Our demeanor, our behavior, it starts to change because we become boastful and prideful in what we do and what we have. And while that's happening, a seed of wickedness is planted in our hearts which starts to grow. In the process of Job's extreme pain, God was gradually breaking him to bring realization and light to the wickedness that was within his heart. He had this seed that was wicked, wickedness that was evidence, evident within his heart. And what God was doing was slightly, slowly allowing him to break in the attention that God will shine light and realization to that wickedness that was planted in, in his heart now. And from that is what God allowed his ri righteous judgment to fall upon him, altering and cleansing his character and state of heart. Just as Job had this chastening, this righteous judgment that fell upon Job, God does the same to us. Sometimes we think in our lives where that wickedness that was in our hearts, that comfort we chose to fixate on other things to provide that comfort, that wickedness that was in our hearts, that pridefulness of what we have, what we have in our hearts and, and our character and our, the way we boast and the way we present ourselves, God allows breakage so that in that breakage is where we break to our own wickedness and become broken and in a humble state where we are now able to realize and look at ourselves and realize that, oh, that is wrong. I shouldn't act like that. My heart, that state of my heart, that state of wickedness in my heart, wickedness in my heart is wrong. I need to now clear that. Job's heart and intentions were not humble. It was a wickedness 
and bitterness, he chose to behave in regards to his sorrow and his troubles, just like we do in our lives. When our hearts are humbled and we shift our focus to God with the attitude of, I have nothing, he is all I need, when we are humilified or lowered in our prideful sense, inviting God into our hearts and lives, living according to his word, or have the intention of wanting to, will be built up naturally, making changes to remove the iniquity and wickedness in our hearts. These things will be exposed to us, and now that it is, it is expo exposed and in the light, we now know the wickedness for what it is that is evident in, the in our hearts. So now we can act upon that and choose what we can do about that in order to get rid of it or to keep it and remain the same. So I'm just going to quickly read from Job chapter 22, verse 21 to 30. It says now, acquaint yourselves with him and be at peace. Thereby, good will come to you. Receive, please, instruction from his mouth and lay up his words in your heart. If you return to the Almighty, you will be built up. You will remove iniquity far from your tent. Then you will lay your gold in the dust and the gold of Ophir among the stones of the brooks. Yes, the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver. For then you will have your delight in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. You will make your prayer to him, he will hear you, and you will pay your vows. You will also declare a thing and it will be established for you. So light will shine on your ways when the cast when they cast you down and you say, exaltation will come, then he will save the humble person. He will even deliver one who is innocent. Yes, he will be delivered by the purity of your hands. So what that is saying is that when our heart is humbled, when our tent is cleared of iniquity and wickedness, when our intentions and our character is humbled and we come to that point of we have nothing and he is all we need, that is when he will build us up. And that laying of your, laying your gold, which, it is, which is referenced in that passage, is referred to our wickedness, evil, and sinful ways. That gold that we value, that comfort, that sin, that wickedness, that evil, that gold that we value, that we have, will be sacrificed before him and laid before him. It'll be put to dust. It'll be buried. It'll be cast away. He will take it away. He will be our gold, providing the full extent of his goodness and glory upon us. And I'm further running the advice from his friends or work a job to the state of wickedness and complainants that he had towards God. He was an upright and righteous when he spoke before God, he was resenting against him, blaming him for everything that was going on. But meanwhile, 
that same person gone who he was blaming his eyes was off him in the first place to begin with which why he lacked that comfort and peace and stability he remained in the tormentation of his state of his affairs keeping his eyes on it his focus on it his faith his fear planted on the state of his affairs which why God didn't contend to his job's resentful Christ towards him with his great power that God is, has to fix it all, but God, God heard him. He's seen the state of his job's heart in all the midst of that troublesome, which Job finally acknowledged that God was testing him. It came to the realization that iniquity, those seeds in his heart, were exposed to himself, but he was able to stand out of it and realize that it was God testing him. Just as I mentioned with the pottery, the potter slowly starts to apply pressure, slowly keeps, gradually he keeps doing that in order to provide its shape and form to the structure that the potter wants it to be at the end. And just with the diamond as well, with the it's nothing to begin with, it's just dirt. But with the application of heat and pressure within the earth, binds it all together to create a diamond. That's what God is doing to us. In the process of all the wickedness, evil, comfortless, instability, unfaithfulness towards him, he applies this pressure and he tests it. He uses it as a test to bring out the final good result. With all of Job's abundance and riches in his family and life, it caused Job's fear towards him to decrease. The abundance that he had, the riches that he had, oh, I'm, everything's going well for me. I don't have to worry about nothing. I got everything here now. That is what took that fear away from Job's job towards God to decrease. The lack of fear is what stirred up wickedness and, and bitterness to be planted in his heart to, be st to stem into a tree of this wickedness and evil within his heart. That seed that was planted in his heart to begin with. His focus that was on the darkness, the chaos, that seed was planted there and then when he chose to take his eye off God, which is when Satan now started to manipulate the situation, causing, he, causing him to think that it was God that was punishing him, that was resenting and hating and anger towards him within that situation, when really his eyes was off him, and that's when that seed was planted from there and then. And sometimes we often have this same concept, this same attitude towards God where we have everything we have. We look in our household, we got the car, our family's doing well, we got food in our fridge, everything's going well, we're getting paid, good pay, everything's going well. That is what causes our fear towards God to decrease because we are so comfort, comforted within that abundance where we now rely on that now. Our focus is now on that now, not on God. And that's where that lack of fear starts to resent, as well as that seed that is planted, that wickedness that is planted. 
after constant debates between Job and his friends, justifying hardships that God allowed him to endure, he finally realized and came to the realization, to the defilement, that evil, that wickedness planted within his heart became evident towards him, which in the process of all that chastening, that righteous judgment of God, that test that he was going through, that pressure that was mending him into this pottery at the end of it all, that's what God exposed throughout the process, that what he was doing, slowly breaking him, not in a form of, I hate you, or you deserve this, but to bring him come down again. So after this, with the realization of all this iniquity, wickedness that was planted and grew within his heart, he started to restore and reclaim his integrity, coming to the realization now, this is what, what, I, was, what I was doing wrong. I was in the wrong this whole time, not God. I was in the wrong. So with this realization is when he came to reclaim his integrity. So I'm just quickly reading from Job chapter 27, verse 9 to 10. Will God hear his cry when trouble comes upon him? Will he delight himself in the Almighty? Will he always call on God? Job now questions himself in regards to the wickedness and iniquity that was evident within, within his heart that was planted at the start when he chose to turn his eye away from God. He started to question that throughout the extreme hardship of his. He then states God's word, which is in Job 28, verse 28 here. And to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. We need to carry the awareness of God's righteous judgment. We need to gain knowledge of this by departing from our wicked practices, from our sins, from our evilness, our iniquities. We need to depart from these ways. We need to come to realization and bring it to self-consideration where we know what it is and what it is for what it is. Because where evil is, God's righteous judgment will fall. Not only did the fear of God and his righteous judgment reignite, reignite within, his, within Job, but brought awareness to all the others who witnessed Job's extreme suffering. We often cry out due to the, the arm of the mighty, our trials, tribulations, hurt, and find other things to fulfill and bring comfort to ourselves. Sin to heal our afflictions rather than running to God for that healing. But when we choose to make that move towards him with our hearts being humbled and humilified with that realization of the wickedness in our hearts, that evil, and when we choose that to turn to him with that consideration of that wickedness in our hearts, that God, he, won't, he will preserve the life, he will not preserve the life of the wicked but gives justice to the oppressed. So we need to come to that reali realization within our hearts where we know where that wickedness is evident because God won't preserve the life of the wicked. He will now start to apply his righteous judgment there like he did to Job because of the lack of that 
that attention to God for that comfort that he finds in sins and other things is what now God allowed his righteous judgment to fall, to form and cleanse out of those ways. And eventually, after all the hardships that God spoke to him, reminding him and reinstating his omnipotent jobs due to his bitter groanings towards him, after that, that God spoke to him, Job was horrified and humbled, immediately kept his mouth shield shut, refusing to say anything as he did in his rebukeful remarks against God before blaming him for the hurt and the trials instead of realizing the prideful and selfish and wickedness that was in his heart. Like, man, if God was to speak to me after all my hurt, after me crying out to him, blaming everything to him, and for me to realize that I was in the wrong and for God now to speak to me, you were wrong in this, you were wrong this whole time. I am the almighty God. I am omnipotent. I have all this power. When he came to that realization, kept his mouth sealed shut. Like, man, if God was to reveal himself to me like that after I blamed him for everything, I would just say, God, okay, God, you can now end my life. Yes, I was in the wrong. Like, I'll be scared now. Like, hey, like, I was in the wrong the whole time. I'll be like, God, just snap my life now. Just, just take my life. I was in the wrong this whole time. But as he was horrified to his actions and defilement, God continued to portray and spoke of his almighty omnipotence, which deepened the exposure of the wickedness and sin, bitterness that was held within his heart against him, against God and the wrong people and the right against the righteous judgment of God that fell upon Job. So there and then immediately Job repented of all his sins, honoring God, and God restored all that he previously had with abundance. Not only did he restore all that he once had, but in double portion, 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 100 female donkeys, along with the seven sons and three daughters. You see, when we cry out in repentance, state of humbleness of our hearts, that wickedness that was evident, laying it all before God, that laying all that sin, all that hurt, that pain, that resentment before God at the feet of His, He will restore, He will heal, provide, and bless us, and all of the abundance of God's goodness will be handed to us naturally as a blessing. And just quickly, I'm just gonna turn to the story of where Jesus walks on water in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 to 33. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea being tossed by the waves for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to him, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if this is you, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down, out of the boat, he walked on the water to go towards Jesus. But he saw the wind was boisterous, meaning chaotic, rough, so strong. He was afraid. And there he, be he was be he beginning to sink. He cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him up. And he said to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? 
And they, when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. You see, when Jesus came on the water, was walking on the water, they were crying out in fear. Because this is like early morning, 3 o'clock in the morning. Imagine you sitting in the boat, the middle of the sea, so see someone, a light walking towards you, like that would be so scary. But in that present moment, immediately, God comforted it, saying, No, it is I, be of good cheer. And then when Peter was telling, if this is you, Jesus, command me to walk on the water. There when he said, come, he stepped out of that boat. He stepped out in faith and began to walk towards Jesus. But you notice as soon as the wind became boisterous, the sea became chaotic and rough, his eyes went off God Jesus now. It was that the situation, the storm, circumstances that his troubles just as in our troubles in our lives our circumstances our pain his focus was on that and as soon as he turned his eyes off Jesus is when he began to sink you see when we choose to turn our eyes off Jesus God when we choose to take our eyes off him and choose to look at our circumstances and reside in our circumstances and to just remain in that state we will begin to sink because our eyes is not on Jesus. There when we begin to sink, we begin to drown. And it says there when Peter was sinking, he cried out to Jesus, save me. And there immediately Jesus saved him from the water, took him out of it. And then when they came back to the boat, the wind ceased and it stopped. So what this is applying to us is that just as we step out in faith and we walk towards Jesus, as we start to make that walk towards him, and as soon as things go wrong in our life and we choose to reside in that chaos and choose to focus on those things is when we begin to sink. And when he cried out to Jesus, immediately he saved him. When we choose to cry out to Jesus in a state of humbleness, in a state of, we need you, save me, I'm drowning. When we choose to call out to him in that state, immediately he will come and rescue us. And it goes on to say when Peter and Jesus came back to the boat, everything became seized. Everything was calm. So when we choose to cry to Jesus and accept him within our hearts, that is when the winds are going to cease. So as I start to wrap up this morning, let's just reflect. Think to yourself, your state of heart. What is it that, what seed is in your heart? Are you planting the seeds of God that will sprout in and are for his fruits or a state or a seed of wickedness in our hearts, a seed of evil where we chose to begin with to ch turn our eyes towards the, the chaotic circumstances and focus on that, our eyes of God, that what, what is stirred within our hearts? And you know, you know for yourself individually, I know for myself, but when we choose to come and bring forth and we come to lay these things before God, before Jesus and we cry out to him in a broken state where we're broken and everything is going wrong. Our eyes are on the chaos, not on God. That's when we drown. And maybe there's some of you this morning where throughout your life, maybe things happened throughout your lifetime from a young age or maybe now. Maybe you're in a storm right now. Maybe your eyes, where's your eyes? 
Is it on the lighthouse? Is it on God? Is he providing that peace and stability? Or are we chastened? Are we, did we get chased and get driven out of that light into the darkness with our eyes off God? Where is our eyes set on? What are we choosing to allow into our hearts to provide that comfort? When really Christ is our comforter, that sin, that wickedness that we choose to turn to, we're digging our own graves. We're casting down our own traps. Instead of choosing to follow him fully, turn to him to provide that stability, residing in that wickedness state of our hearts, resenting him for the wrong, when really our eyes were open to begin with. Where is our attention fixated on? Is it on God? is it on the situation what seeds are planted in my heart is it of wicked wickedness evil or is Jesus is God in our hearts think to yourselves now what you went through at your lifetime whatever troublesome you faced situations hardships in segments and portions of your life it wasn't because God hated you wasn't because you did something wrong it's because God loves you God loves you that much that he allows that pressure he allows that pain to, to outpour on you and yes when he sees you in pain he's in pain also but he knows it's for the goodness of his glory think to yourself we need to allow God we need to be that clay where God will apply pressure he will apply mending. He will just apply this pressure that will seem to us as pain, but it's forming us to become a beautiful bless, our vessel before him where his glory will be revealed. Where are we? Residing this, this hurt, this pain, this comfort that we choose to gather from other things when it should be from God. that you will drown. You notice for yourself that you will drown because, man, for me, what I went through, all of you know for yourselves that I wasn't in church for a whole year. And in the midst of that year, man, I did the depths of wickedness, wicked things. I turned to witchcraft. I turned to drugs. I turned to alcohol. I turned to people, other things. I turned to all these other things to apply discomfort, to give me discomfort. But as I was doing that, deeper, I was drowning. And I was in a straight state where I, wasn't, I was no longer drowning. I was just floating dead in the water. I was at that state of my heart and situation. But what did God do? He cried out to me. He reached down his head. He swam to the depths of the seas to pick me back up out of the water. For him to do that for me, for him to do that to me, for him to do that for me, just think what he can do for you. I had no comfort at all. I was like a tree cut down with, I was just like a stump tree dead. 
But when I choose to cry out to God in a state of humbleness and brokenness, gracefully broken to Him, that's when He dropped His essence of glory and goodness on my tree stump to grow within me a tree. And look at me now. I am now a tree. Look at me. I'm a tree. Look at the elevation where God has lifted me in His calling. I am preaching before you. Man, like to think where I was before practicing witchcraft, evil, drugs, all these things. Like, man, you would think, what a hypocrite. But to think that the, 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 the thing, the pain that, allow, that God allows to create in us and to expose these defilements within our hearts to apply pressure, at the end of it all is revealed a beautiful vessel, just like I am today in his kingdom. Just think, what can he do? He can do the very same to you. To think that I was, I was practicing in these things, evil, pure witchcraft, all these sins, I was practicing was pure evil against God. But still, he had faith in me and seen this goodness hidden within me, which he allowed me to shatter and break so that light will now shine outwards. And for me, to be conducted like an instrument I was just an instrument before. I didn't know what my purpose was. I didn't know what sounds I'd make, what songs I would produce. But now that I, I gave myself to God as an instrument, He is playing that instrument, playing beautiful tunes. That tune that He is playing is that glory that is revealed in me, that you are, that you now see in me standing before you at this present moment right now, preaching His word to you. So just think, to yourself, that pain that you're in, that sorrow that you're drowning in, maybe maybe you're still in that rough seas, maybe that seas is still chaotic and your eyes is off him. Maybe you came that deep to a point where you're dead at the bottom of the ocean. Or maybe you don't even know, maybe you're in darkness, can't see no light. But just know that as Job came to this realization of brokenness instead of wickedness and that betrayal of God in his heart now that he came to that realization and came before God and gave it to him and sacrificed it all to him he restored everything that he lost not only restored but in double portion that's the same thing God will do to us when we choose to lay these things before him and sacrifice it and walk on the water just as Peter did to Jesus when we choose to walk on that water towards Jesus when we choose to walk on that water towards Jesus we will be founded in stability because our eyes are on him and we are walking to the one comforter the one true living king the one soon to come the son of the living most high God when we choose to fixate our focus on him there he heals it all and like it said in here that the misery is forgotten because of the glory revealed in us now. We are now, from that pressure applied, become these diamonds. Now you look at me today. I'm a diamond. <laughs> I'm a diamond, so... I'm a diamond. <laughs> I'm a diamond. <laughs> so when you choose to come to that realization and give it all to God, the pressure that he applies is what is being binded and formed and applied within that pressure. After that pressure, 
is what formed within that pressure and that circumstance that timing formed a diamond is formed and there a diamond lies and I came to that realization so can you allow that day to be today because if you turn away and if you continue to allow to reside yourself in that chaos you'll continue to drown continue to sink and eventually you'll become at the bottom pit of the ocean but hope is not lost because that's when in that state when we cry out to him he would swim to the depths of the oceans to the cracks of the canyons of the ocean floor to lift you out of the water and revive you to become alive again so allow that day to be today so that you don't continue to fall and drown but I just want to finish up with that today just allow that day to be today allow your faith to be planted on him not on that chaos so that you can have stability and full comfort from your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ